0: Nigel Risner is the only motivational speaker in Europe to have been awarded Speaker of the Year from both the Academy of Chief Executives and the Executive Committee. Nigel isn't just a motivational speaker, he's a company turnaround specialist, driving everyone from CEOs to schoolchildren to ignite excitement and action into their lives, showing techniques to break through boundaries we put around ourselves. Nigel has inspired thousands of FTSE 100 and Fortune 500 delegates, schoolchildren, charities and prison inmates across the world to make positive strides in their lives. Author of best-selling books, The Impact Code and It's a Zoo Around Here, the great Jack Canfield of Chicken Soup for the Soul fame said, Nigel has an awesome presence which touches and transforms people's lives. Listen in as Nigel shares with me his very own personal journey and his strategies for self-improvement. I'm thrilled to welcome on board IQ Boxing as the very first sponsor of your London Legacy podcast. Run by the inspirational head coach Xavier Miller, IQ Boxing Club in Neasden, Northwest London is one big close-knit family where the boxers and coaches have excellent working relationships and every boxer supports each other on their individual journey. Every young boxer is given individual time so that they can flourish as a boxer, but more importantly, as a person of character. Regular classes are held for juniors and amateurs, and there are also keep-fit boxer-sized classes. IQ Boxing is built on the pillars of respect, hard work and dedication, and with its supportive trustees, grows from strength to strength. You can find out more about the London Legacy IQ Boxing are creating by following them on Instagram at IQ Xavier Miller or www.iqboxing.co.uk. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. Well, we're good to go, Nigel. We're, we're, we're now talking live on, on the podcast. Thank you for coming to see me. It's an absolute pleasure, and I am absolutely thrilled and delighted to... Have you on the podcast? And I'd like to welcome to your London legacy, Nigel Risner. I believe, is that
1: how it's pronounced? Risner? Risner. Oh, yes. Yes. I've been called a lot worse. I bet you have. Yeah. Well, it's an easier name than Lazarus. That's always Nazareth and Lazarus. So very often when I go on stage, I give people phonetically R I Z N E R and then they say Risner very well. Or you get the Risler papers. Risler. I'll be part one. of that, but we're not.
0: I never thought of Rizla, but that, that's a good one, an easy way to remember you. Exactly. But I always ask guests because it can always be a little bit embarrassing. We go right through a conversation and I've got your name wrong a hundred times. And that's okay. That's that's fine. If
1: that's the worst it's going to be, I can live with that. No, that's, the,
0: that's, that's not the worst it's going to be. It's going to get a lot worse. <laughs> well, I, I, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for welcoming me into your lovely home in Arkley, which is not strictly London. I think we're on the sort of the borders, the cusp of north-northwest London.
1: We are point a third of a mile from Northwest Seven which is where I hail from, where, where so I live. That's why. Spitting distance. Which is why we, deliveries are quite complicated, because we say, you're just outside London. And you go, I don't think so. And they say, but you are
0: leafy leafy arkley i think it is
1: we exactly right yeah we
0: love it here beautiful lovely quiet location we won't give the address because we don't want sort of group is hanging outside your door but nigel risner for those people who don't know is and i don't know how to, how quite to describe as a motivational speaker motivational guru company turnaround expert
1: or irritational speaker irritational yeah so most of my time is spent working with organizations to take them from where they are to where they'd like to be and to turn limited people limitless And so without getting into a deep conversation about how we do it, we just look at people's potential and organisations' potential and say, how do we just enhance what they do? Uh Most people do a reasonable job. We want them to do a phenomenal job.
0: Okay. So just to wind up the, or to elaborate a bit more on the introduction, you've been doing this speaking gig for 20-odd years plus, I believe, not just in London and Europe, but Europe and the wider world. I mean, we're talking about you're going to Nigeria to do... Do you so I've English? been on
1: the road nearly 20 years. Uh-huh. Um, my furthest has been Australia and New Zealand, and my nearest has been Mill Hill. So <laughs> it goes from one extreme to the other. My Wait. smallest audience has been four. My largest has been 7,000. Wow. And, and I love traveling, but I also like being at home. And, and you, you said speak, you've done a lot of traveling around London. You said you do more miles in your car around London than I, I, a lot of people, I, Show. I, I lived in Surrey and went to school in North London, and then I lived in North London, and my office was in Surrey. So I have gone through London probably every day for nearly forty years, and even including the M25, I've probably gone through London virtually every day at some point for that amount of time. And you're still uh, still not completely mad yet. (laughs) No, but but I like London, and I love driving through. I love late at night driving when it's quiet and seeing places I've never seen, and with ways which just amazes me. There are some roads in London I must have bypassed a thousand. I've never been down this road. Uh, so I find that weird.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to your favorite place at the end of the conversation, because you said it's going to be somewhere you think no one's probably ever heard of. Well, we'll you know, that, that'll that be interesting. But also, just going back to the introduction, you're also an author of many books. Or How many books have you written
1: now? I've written four, and we're just in the process of running a fifth right now. Literally, we are 95% of the way through. Okay. So we'll
0: talk about that maybe a little bit as well, but the books I'm most familiar with and are probably more familiar to most people are your, it's not a self-help book, but it's called The Impact Code, Live the Life You Deserve, which is a fantastic book, and I want to talk about that. And also the book, which is, it's not a companion book, but it works very well in conjunction with The Impact Code as well, I think, is Understanding People's Personalities and How Best to Communicate with People, called It's a Zoo Around Here, New Rules for Better Communication. And I know you talk a lot about that when you're going around presenting to, to companies because it's very because communication
1: is the key to everything isn't it well it's it's interesting because i got your communication style in about seven seconds which means i know i'll be gentle with you and i'll be slightly slower in my pace of speech so i oh know already what type it's like of that animal. is it <laughs> i know what type of animal you are uh-huh. the problem you're going to have is i'm going to be all over the place because the type of animal i right, am so i've got to learn so how, one how to manage us, you yeah so <laughs> one of us has got to become the zookeeper which okay. is what the book's all about all right both of us can't be zookeepers but as long as one of us is a zookeeper we can then manage the other people
0: okay well as host of the Show, I suppose, is my—it's incumbent on me to try and manage manage you. But you've got a lot more experience than I have in managing people uh, and and large groups. So I'll, I'll do my best. Cool. So I'm sure you will. if I see you veering off track, I'll I'll try and I'll give a tug on your microphone cable to see if I can reel you back in again. So you have a very successful career now on the on the speaking circuit, and that in itself is not easy, because it's a, I would imagine it's a very competitive sort of market out there.
1: It's a bizarre market, because everyone thinks they're a speaker, uh-huh. and every four years when the Olympics finishes, all the retired Olympians become motivational speakers, right. and so then you've got the sports stars, you've got business people, and every day there's another 50 people who join the circuit. The slight difference for me has always been that I've been in business, I've made a lot of money, I've lost an absolute fortune, remade my money, and so I can actually talk about business f- hands-on from yeah. what I did, what I didn't do, what I wish I had done done. Yeah. And so my ethos about business is, business isn't complicated, people are. So if you look at most people's businesses, if you get the people right, business isn't that complicated. Sure.
0: It's interesting that you say more and more people, you know, just in the Olympics and sports people becoming pundits and speakers, you know, after dinner speakers and all that sort of stuff. Public speaking is known to be one of the biggest
1: fears anyone has in life. So, how come so many people are putting themselves through that? Because it gets bums on seats. Right. So, lots of events will want a public speaker so they can advertise that this person will be there. And there are some phenomenal, phenomenal speakers out there who really have a great story. And there are some who aren't that great. But they are a draw. So I'm not going to diss any speakers out there. But there aren't that many speakers who've been in business, who've actually worked in business, made a lot of money, lost money, remade money, who can actually hands-on say to people, you should look at doing some different things. But, but it's a very competitive field, and I love doing it. And I hope it comes across with my passion. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Well, the time I, I met you, I don't know, three, four years ago at a small network marketing. No, it's not network marketing. A small marketing event where we were networking business. And you came along and gave gave your uh, A-talk. It must have been an abridged talk because I think you were there for like half 20 minutes, half an hour. And that's where I got your books. And that's where I found out about you. and was very, very impressed by how you held the room in the palm of your hand. That's, that's very kind that's, of you. Yeah. So... Before you did this gig, you know the speaking circuit, going around the world talking and improving companies, you, you had another life. You were in business. And uh, Talk us a little bit through how you got into f- the finance, insurance I'll, I'll industry. Do
1: a two-minute positive history. Yeah. So I left school just before I was 16, and I joined a finance company. And after about two and a half years of just understanding business, and I just had a sense of what business was about, I then decided I wanted to do hotel management in Israel, Emigrated to Israel and within about 10 minutes realised hotel management wasn't for me. And my roommate in a an absorption centre where I was staying was a tennis coach. And I thought, I've played a lot of tennis in my youth. I'd like to do that. So I played tennis. I umpired tennis. I coached tennis for nearly two years in Israel. And then a bank rang me while I was in Israel to invite me back to London. Uh, literally a bank right behind Debenhams. And invite me back to work in a second mortgage department. And I thought... Unless I joined the army, I need to be coming back at some point. And it was an opportunity too good to give up. So I came back. And six weeks after coming back, the department closed. Excellent. And I got moved into collections. Now, for anybody who understands what collections is, if you work for a commercial bank, collections is tough because we repossessed things like a castle to a laundrette, to a restaurant, to investment properties. And we were a very small department. We had our own collections team in our own bank. After about a year, I saw an advert for a finance broker for a commercial estate agent who I knew from my previous days. Mm -hmm. He thought I was much older, and I didn't disagree with him when he thought I was much older. And I started a business with £12.80 in 1983. How do you
0: remember that specific number so
1: clearly? Because I remember the bank statement, because that's what was in the account when I started this company. Uh Um, Five and a half years later, I paid him £1.7 for his 51% stake, and had equity and venture capital in my business, which was probably the biggest mistake in my life, but I didn't know that at the time. And we were one of the largest commercial brokers in Europe. We financed nursing homes, residential homes, pubs, hotels, all over the country. And we had offices in London, Bournemouth, Brighton, Exeter, Scotland. And I was 26, 27. I didn't really understand what I was doing. And the thing I didn't understand, more importantly than anything else, was managing people. I thought if I just paid them more money, they'd be happy. Yeah. That was an adventure in itself. So when was this? You're still a young man then. Uh, This was was 1983. Early 80s, okay. To 1993. Uh We then lost absolute millions. And I needed to earn some more money. So I decided to go minicabbing in my car.
0: What, what was the event or series of events that led you to to losing so much? The recession, the, recession. the crash,
1: interest rates being 15%. Oh, I remember those a, days. And a number yep. of events. So I started minicabbing. The problem was the only car that I had was my Bentley. So I was minicabbing for, from Woodside Park in a Bentley. Fantastic. And I did it for six months and I got really good at it. So yeah. start, people started asking me to do mitzvahs, weddings, etc. <laughs> and I still had a day job. After about six months, I realized this couldn't continue. And I resigned from my own business and started all over again from home. I had two young kids at the time, and what was really interesting is that when you have a major fallout, and you go through one of these meltdowns financially, some of your life changes, and you either strengthen your relationship, or you break your relationship. Fortunately, it strengthened our relationship. You're talking about your relationship with your wife? I am it, at maybe? this point. Primarily, yeah. um, And we've now been married 34 years, and I was joke happily four, yeah. but you know, we have been married 34 years. But I started doing the same commercial finance from home. Really quickly, without having 75 staff, we were making quite a lot of money. But I realized making money wasn't complicated. Working with people was complicated. Mm. So I did the the big thing of going to the States, to California, to Santa Barbara, to work with a guy called Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield writes the Chicken Soup chicken for the Soul Chicken Soup book. for the Soul. And I went back every summer for nearly three years to work on self-esteem, peak performance. And then in 1997, did my first presentation.
0: Just stop there a second. You sort of put that bit in about Jack Canfield, like almost like a throwaway remark. I mean, Jack Canfield is a world-renowned sort of success expert. How how did you get in touch with him, and how did you?
1: He was running what's called a facilitator skills seminar. Uh It was really a self-esteem workshop, but I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was to help people learn how to facilitate self-esteem seminars, right? And I'd had I'd had some involvement in the UK with some personal development courses, and I thought this was the place to go if I really wanted to hone up. My skills, because what I wanted to do instead of doing personal development was do company development. In 2000, I gave up my finance company for the second time and went full time as a speaker. And I was very blessed that I met a guy who ran an organization called the Academy for Chief Executives. His wife was my Hebrew class teacher when I was three, when I lived in Surbiton. And I didn't know that at the time, but his back garden lent onto my back garden. And very quickly, I got involved in speaking with the Academy for Chief Execs. And and I understood what business was about working with small groups of people, and my my circuit my my start of speaking was immense. I mean, within literally a year, I was doing a hundred presentations a year. So what what was it that led to
0: your popularity
1: at that time? Was it just a I just word seemed of mouth? to understand how small groups worked, yeah. and some divine inspiration from some higher power. But no formal training in public speaking. Not really. i I'd, I'd done some training but I hadn't actually done much public speaking in small groups. Mm-hmm. It, I, look, I had a big mouth. You know, I, I, was a, I was an ex-insurance finance salesman, so I knew how to speak. Mm-hmm. But you either have a gift with speaking or you don't. You can, the nuances, and you can learn different ways of holding an audience, but you just need to know your stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you know your stuff and you're passionate about it, you can get away with most things. Mm-hmm. Now, let me do a caveat to that. Whilst you can get away with it, you need to have the knowledge. So I knew what business was about. What I really needed to find out was why businesses weren't communicating well. So I spent a number of years really looking at how communication really works. And there are many systems out there. And then I had a brainwave while in the shower about animals. And then I spoke at Whipsnade Zoo. And I saw a zookeeper with lots of buckets of food labeled different animals. And I had a long chat with them to say, what are you really doing? He said, well, if I feed the animals the right food, you get really good performance from them. And that was my next breakthrough that I realized that if you could understand the people in your team and you motivated them in their language, not mine, you would have a much better dedicated staff. So giving some people loads and loads of money isn't the answer. What's interesting when you see people in the city working, very often they don't stay that long. They'll do it for a period of time, but the rates of suicide, abuse... Uh, substance abuse, alcoholism, is because there's only so much they can do, and at some point they're not getting their needs met. Yes. So then we got on to working on the impact code, which was how do we create a life that people really deserve, and is there a code they could use to make their lives work better? That took me to another direction because it became published. It went out to bookstores. And then we started doing a tour. It went around the world. So it's in now twelve different countries. It's in. It's translating to Korean, Polish ironically Arabic, Chinese, it's in India, it's in Canada, etc. And that took me to another direction. But fundamentally, everything that I'm about is to see how I can get people to enhance their game to be better than they are. Mm. It's, it's still nonetheless,
0: it's a hell of a career change first off, you know, running your own business in finance, and then becoming a public speaker. How did you make that transition in, in your own mind? Because obviously, you're going from success to not success if you like you, you said you lost a lot you you
1: lost everything at one I, point. I lost yeah. everything and just yeah. kept the house just kept the house yeah
0: and then moving into the public speaking arena
1: i, I was still doing the finance for two and a half years right so, you had so some... i was working in my own home and, it, and whenever there was a speaking opportunity i would leave so you're
0: running them in parallel to yeah. each other wow
1: and what happens is at some point your brain says which one's your favorite mm. and then at some point you go which one am i most passionate about and then at some point I had to take a financial risk to give up the finance company and dedicate every waking moment to working with people. And it was scary the first year. Yeah. But what happens is, if you have a big enough what and you don't worry about the how, it's amazing how the universe yeah. su- surprises you. Yes, absolutely. And, and if you listen to Simon Sinek's book, his, his power of the word why, why are you doing this? And if you know your why and you have a big enough what, Life doesn't become complicated. So it wasn't a financial decision. The change wasn't motivated by
0: finance. It was, you know, your success has followed as a result of following your passion and and what you wanted to do.
1: If you do what you love and you love what you do, there's a chance of success. Uh If you hate what you do and you're getting well paid, it's short-lived. Because at some point, you get into resentment mode. Because it's not fulfilling. Yeah. And you're not getting, you know, the warm hug that you feel you need. However, money is important. Yes. So there comes a point where you have to look at what money do I really need compared to what money do I want? And so often I ask people, instead of what do they want in life, what's missing in their life? Which is the same question, by the way. It's just an emotional difference. And what, what was missing in my life was fulfillment and actually joy in working with people. So I could do the finance, and it wasn't complicated, and we financed thousands of properties. But after a while, what I realized was to work in someone's business was the answer. And if you remember Sir John Harvey Jones' Troubleshooter program, mm-hmm. he was my hero because I love the idea he would walk into a business and just walk around a business for a couple of days and then give some advice. And I remember in, in 2001, I was asked to go and look at a business. And I remember smiling as I walked around this factory and they were an industrial clothing company. And I remember saying to myself, I'm doing my dream. And I, and I know exactly where I was in Kennington. I know exactly which floor I was on. I know exactly where I was. Because that was the moment I was actually living the dream. And that must be such a
0: fulfilling moment when you just realize, I, I just feel complete in what I'm doing, my purpose. And that's
1: the, that's the key word, I felt complete. Yeah. And that's tough for people because if you live in London and rents are high and mortgages are high, you need to earn money.
0: Yeah. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you because you talk about following your passion and we just said you, you, you found that moment when you realized you were complete and fulfilling your purpose. But so many people have not got a clue what they're here for what they want to achieve in life what their purpose what their dreams are that you know today young kids want to they follow influencers on instagram they want to have a six-pack they want to be wealthy but none of that is fulfilling in itself so how do
1: they know how do they go about finding out what it is they want well so one of the really deep questions you have to ask is you know where do i want to be five years from now and what would make me happy if i didn't have any money And so, you know, five years from now, if I was speaking all around the world, and I had just enough to pay for my accommodation, I'd still be doing it.
0: Presumably, you ask that question of your audiences, you've got to think about what you want and what you're passionate about. Do you get different? Is there a
1: commonality to the answers that you get across the world? Well, first what everyone says, well, I need to provide for my family. Then you look at why divorce is so high, because something is missing either in the relationship, or they're not providing what the family needs, or what they want. And when you don't provide what you want and you don't get what you want, then you go into resentment, then you go into you, – you need some sort of substance to make you happy, which is why drug abuse and alcohol abuse and people having marital affairs and all this make – it's an instant dopamine hit. Yeah. You know, I love Amazon, okay? What's interesting with Amazon is you press that button and it's a dopamine hit. Then they send you an email saying it's on its way and it's another dopamine hit. That's exactly the same as gambling. So you find people love that concept of getting instant gratification. And we live in what we call an expectation economy. So we expect things now. So the idea of saving is tough for kids. And, you know, the reality of them buying a house is unbelievably tough, especially if you're living in London. You know, if you think the average property in London is nearly 400,000. Crazy. How do they save for that when they just expect it now? You know, so they go to university. They don't really want to come back and live with their parents. They can't really afford to rent, so they come back, but they're, they're annoyed. They're living with their parents, and their parents want to know what they're doing. Then they find somewhere to rent, and most of their money is going into rent. So then they travel or go further, and they all want to do another gap year. So they're looking for some excitement because this instant nowness isn't there. And then when they do get their flat or, and they buy somewhere, they now have no money. So now we've got to find something else to do. So then we go on social media to see what everyone else is doing. Uh And there's a lovely line that says, if you want to compare your life, compare all of your life to all of theirs. So when I was playing tennis, my hero was Jimmy Connors. So some people on this podcast will know who Jimmy Connors is. Yeah, me me included. He was my hero. What was really interesting, so in 1982, you know, he just won one of his major tournaments. I'll, I'll stand to be corrected because I think he won the US Open. He was my hero. And then he said he'd give up all of his trophies if he found the woman of his dreams. And I'd just met my wife. So I had the one thing he wanted. And then you realize that most people are looking for something and they're not happy where they are. And most people, if they could just realize what actually makes them happy, their whole world would change. Yeah,
0: But that, that is the most difficult question in most people's lives. What is, it that, you know, what is life all about? What am I here on this planet
1: for? What is my purpose? But, yeah, but what's interesting, if you watch a family on the beach where their children are just playing with sandcastles and they've got an ice cream and it's reasonably warm. In that moment of time, they've got everything they need. Mm. The problem is they then go on Instagram and they see someone in Santa Monica, they see someone in Saint-Tropez, and someone's on their boat and they think, this isn't enough, I need that. But in that moment, that was exactly what they needed. Mm. So they get this FOMO, this fear of missing out syndrome. And what they don't realise is that most of the people they're looking at, they don't know their lifestyle. Yeah.
0: And indeed, some of the kids today, a lot of the kids today will follow these influencers on Instagram, you know, the ones who've been on these um, Love Island things. And they think, oh, I want to be like that, I want to be like that, I want to have their money, I want to live on the beach and these beautiful people. And then it's only later when, you know, unfortunately, tragedy happens in their lives, you know, they take their life, they find out they're on drugs or being abused, you know, then they realize that there is another side to their life, which is, is hidden from camera.
1: And unfortunately, and I've done a couple of TV programs, TV programs are designed to keep people attracted to the program. So you're looking at people that look television worthy, that look attractive to watch, and it's interesting that you think their lives are complete. And when you look at a programme like Love Island or whatever, and it's on for an hour, they've been filmed for twenty four hours. You are seeing forty and it's on most commercial channels are only forty two minutes for every hour they're filmed. So you're seeing forty two minutes of of a day or a week sometimes and you're seeing the best 42 minutes highly edited to keep you to keep uh, you to, amused to keep if, your if you were just watching people having a normal life it wouldn't be much fun what's interesting is reality tv is that when you see someone like Gogglebox you're watching people watching a tv program and their reaction and every three minutes they've got to find another family because unless it's entertaining what the family is saying but if you imagine when you watch a TV program and the commentary you make, would you want to be? Would you think that be television worthy? So you're finding couples that are an interactive family that make funny little comments watching a TV program, and people watch it mm. because all we want is snippets of people's lives. Yep. To keep,
0: is this dopamine hit you said? I mean, you mentioned Amazon, and I I, I don't think I'm addicted, but I buy loads of books if so, if you recommend a book to me today i'll guarantee it'll i'd be on my wish list or i'll have bought it by the end of the day. but,
1: but amazon is doing something very clever because then they send you another little email to say people like you are buying things like this and you think yes. oh if people like them are buying it i ought to buy it and they will then sell another 23 percent of goods for things you never even thought about because we think we need to be like them we know that we want to be like everyone else the problem is the world wants to be like us you know we have classic friday night dinners in our house and we have sometimes six to 20 people. And I have a ground rule on a Friday night in my house. There's no mobile phones at the table. Now, what's really interesting, when other families join us, they are amazed that rule is there. And they go, I wish we could do that. Well, you just organize it. Most people's lives are not that complicated. They just make it complicated.
0: What's the expression? Life is simple. It's just tough. I mean, it's hard. To, it's hard. We know life is simple, but it's difficult
1: to implement the simplicity of life. It, it's, it's a choice. Yeah. I mean, having had major brain surgery over the last two and a half years, I've not had one of those epiphanies and my whole life has changed. But there are times where if I can't be asked to do something, I just don't do it. And I've got a bit more control to say, you know what? This is not a dress rehearsal for the rest of my life. This is it. So if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. We got a. We had a slight interruption there, but we're
0: we we're, we're back we're back live now. Timing is a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> Getting things wrong in the calendars. It's, it's all about communication, isn't it? And I, I thought I was pretty clear, and that's part <laughs> and that's
1: part of the problem with communication. That you know, we haven't an, an idea of what we think we've said, mm. and then the person thinks they know what has been said, and th- and that massive gap in between is what causes all the problems. Yeah. Talking
0: about passion. I mean that that is one aspect and how difficult it is to find your passion and your your mojo in your life What 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 is true for you and you said at any given time like the kids on the beach playing with their family That's wonderful, but you can't that's not useful. That's not you can't take that into your everyday life You need something to to do every day with your life And you need to be. and so many people don't feel comfortable with what they're doing and know know what to do to make the next Step in the right direction. So what what is the thing that they should do? What is the first thing that somebody should do to try and understand, I'm here, I want to get to there. That's that's what I think I want to be achieving with my life.
1: So one of the problems we have in the UK, more than virtually any other country, is that you make decisions at 14 about certain exams you're going to take. And then you make major decisions at 16 about which three subjects you're going to take. And then we go to university at 18 or 19 to study one main subject. What's really interesting for me is that the decisions I made literally at 12 and 13 defined that I was never going to become an accountant, a doctor, or the other, just because of the way I did my exams. I had a major car accident when I was 15, so I didn't really do well in my exams, but I wasn't going to do well anyway. But the way our education system works is that we don't gear people up for more than one type of job. So they have a fixed idea what they want to do. What's ironic is if you looked at the percentage of people who finish a degree and never use their degree and go to something else, it's slightly bizarre however education is important and the idea of studies important and university is great at the age of about 21 22 millennial workers and the new way of working is they want something now and they expect a massive salary even though they don't know very much the next generation who are 30 to 35 have already been in a job for 10 years and they now seem and this is just my take on it they seem to think there must be more to life and they've now got some young kids and they think they're bogged down with it, and it's very difficult for them, in, in a way, to take a risk. The problem is they're going to be doing the next job for the next 20 years if they're not careful. So at some point, they have to really look at themselves and say, what do I want to be doing that I'd love to do? And that the idea of a secondary job, whether it is Uber driving, whether it's using the internet for some secondary business, whether it's design, podcasting, whatever it could be, people have got to start experimenting on what they want to do because they still need to earn their, mor- they still need to have enough money for their mortgage. My fear for people is they're not willing to take a risk. So there's a lovely line that says, "What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail?" And if people really answer that question and really did something that's very brave for people, I often advise people if they could save enough money to not work for two years, what would their life look like? It's a good question. And what's, what's the general feedback you get? I don't well, know. <laughs> well, it, first of all, it's, it's a hard exercise. Yes. But it's amazing how we can save for a house. The question is, could you save enough money to not have to work for a year? Because if you could, could take that risk of doing – so I took the risk of giving up my finance company to go speaking, but I did it part-time. If I really wanted to write internet codes or I really wanted to do other stuff on the internet or I wanted to design, and then I decided I needed time to write the book so, you can write a book literally in six weeks and you can upload it onto Create Space on Amazon. So, you could be an author in six weeks if you wanted to. The yeah. question then is, how do you promote your book? People and then you can use YouTube for um, voice and for adverts and for their singing career. And lots of people have used different mechanisms to go ahead. The problem is, it's finding a job that you're going to be satisfied with and it's not easy. So, it
0: feels to me almost like the old, what we used to call the midlife crisis, is no longer midlife. It's almost like much earlier in your life it's almost you know when you you're young and you're you maybe getting married or you got your foot on the ladder and you
1: you've been work for a few years and you think
0: well this doesn't fulfill well that's me. the
1: problem it bothered me t- so my son is 32 uh-huh. he's about to get married I'm sure they're going to want children quite soon at the age of 35 36 he's then got to provide he'll have a mortgage he'll have young children he'll have to provide he then just can't be free and easy and start going around the world now, my daughter, and she'll be uh, mortified when she does, loves to travel, but she's single in a way. I mean, she's in a relationship, but she, she's done many trips abroad, and that's her passion. So she works hard to travel. But the minute you're involved in a serious relationship and you've got children and you've got a mortgage, your life changes, and you have to start making decisions now. What makes me happy? Mm. And it isn't easy, but you've got to start thinking what part time work could I do? What new things could I try? to make my life fulfilled yeah
0: so when you're talking to your um y- in your audiences particularly in the corporate environment are, are you talking to them from a corporate perspective as well as an individual They got to, you're asking them to look at themselves within the workplace as well
1: as their personal lives i'm doing both you're doing both so for you to be fulfilled and there are times where people will finish you know not necessarily just because of my session but i will be the catalyst for someone to say you know i think i need to move department i think i need to change what i'm doing and people who don't like what they're doing, but are really good at what they do, companies should make them leave. Why is that? Because if they're not fulfilled where they are, they're not going to give it 100%. They'd be better to let them find what their passion is. And, um, you know, Richard Branson often says you want to train people well enough so they can leave, but love them well enough so they don't want to leave. Yeah. So it's that balance between if you have disenchanted people working in your organization, they're not going to be giving it 100%. So you want super nice people working in your organization that you can train as against super intelligent people who aren't nice.
0: But you also want to push them so they're not working within their comfort zone as well, presumably. So they're, they're stretched.
1: Yes, but you need to find out what their personal goals are. Mm-hmm. So often I'll say to people, do you know what the top five personal needs of your staff are? Because if you can support them in their personal needs, and if you can support people to get their dreams, you'll keep your staff. Mm. And it's rarely money is one of the main drivers. Money has a point to it. But there's you know one of the beauties of this generation that we live in now is that more people can work from home. But that's dealing with trust. So the, the joy of not having to go all the way into the city every single day, but then people don't want camaraderie. They want to be able to work with people. So there's this balance between not having to go to work every day, having the facility to work from home. Now, I work really well on my own, but I like working with a team of people. So it's this balance between do I have to go into work or can I work with people? Yeah.
0: Let's just touch on some of the um, the key elements of your impact code. Obviously, it's um, it's a fantastic book, and it forms the basis of your you know some of your keynote presentations so i know we're, we're pushed for time but you've got a train to catch shortly but this we've actually touched on quite a number of the elements already so i each is a mnemonic i think is that the word yeah. for it a mnemonic i-m-p-a-c-t very good each left thank you very good for spelling <laughs> impact well
1: if the if the truth be known the letter i is the key thing for nearly all my speeches okay. which is about being in the room okay so what do you mean by being in the room so when i'm doing this podcast with you i can promise you now i'm just with you and I'm not thinking about my train until you just mentioned it. Okay, good. And I'm not thinking about outside activities. Most people are not where they need to be. Their mind is somewhere else. Yeah. What what they're thinking about most of the time is where they'd rather be or where they were. Even if you looked at golf, golf is a very, very simple game. It's one of the most simplest games in the world. You have a little white ball that never moves. And if you're right-handed, the target is always to your left. And you have an enormous club or stick. The only have got to do is hit it to the left. It's not that complicated. The problem is something gets in the way and it's called your mind. And what happens is your mind starts thinking about the last hole, the next hole, where the ball is going to land, have you got the right club selection, and then you're worried about the sand, you're worried about the water, then you're worried about everyone looking at you, and instead of just playing the ball, your mind drifts. It is amazing to watch people who play golf in a very natural style, how their swing is easy. So when you're on the golf course, be on the golf course. When you're in the office, be in the office. And when you're with your family, be with your family. Hence, turn your phones off when you're sitting around for dinner together. Well, so we only do it on a Friday night. So we just say to people, it's a Friday night service. We just want you to be in the room with us. Hmm. Our our dinners don't last that long. Trust me, it's about 30 minutes. So it's not like it's a seven-hour dinner. But the concept is when you're at work, most people... Are looking around elsewhere to see if there's better things going on. So when I work with people, we tell people our meetings are about forty-two minutes. That's about as long as you can concentrate. After that, people's minds drift. So if you're on a very long meeting, be aware that fifty percent of your staff are not in the room. Sure, that's
0: all to do with attention and attention span. And we're, we've spoken about apps that ping at you and take your attention away all the time. And that's becoming increasingly difficult to focus. So things like removing your phone from the situation is is very important. Being in the room and letting the other person be aware that they are the most important person in the room in that given time is crucial.
1: Well, so we actually share something, but very often people hold their phone when they're talking to someone. And then the phone rings, and they look at their phone, and they go, no, it's fine, I'll continue talking to you. What they're actually saying to you is, in this moment in time, you're more important. Yes. Because if this was more important, they would have taken it. So they're not really in the room. They're just, if there's a better offer, they'll take it. And that's that's horrible
0: for the other person to think but, that you're but not. We
1: all do it. We all
0: do it. The thing I hate, and my wife hates it with a passion, is walking into a room in a social situation, and she's talking to somebody, you know, in like a reception or something. And that person she's talking to is looking around the room,
1: seeing if there's someone more interesting or more better looking or something. But we all do it. Yeah, it's it's it, partly but, it's FOMO, but partly it's we want to be loved. So you know, if somebody contacts us, we better see who it is. Yeah, we need to instantly respond.
0: But there are people who, who are known, you know, film stars, for example, they say when they come into the room, it appears they spoke to me as if I was the only person on the planet. They made me feel so special. And that one-to-one connection is so important. And if you've got and that skill- And people never forget it. That's yeah, the whole point. Yeah.
1: So the eye of the impact code is all about being in the room. And if you're in the room, your life works. Yeah. Now, the, the following,
0: uh, two of the following letters, M for modeling the best, and P, uh, 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 we'll come on to A in a minute for action modeling the best is absolutely critical because so many of us do not have role models to look up to or to aspire to be so how does that work
1: in reality but, but you can make it much easier so a role model doesn't have to necessarily it doesn't even have to be a role model it could be a business it could be something you've seen so you know sometimes you'll go to a restaurant and someone will just do something you think that's super cool you know i go to a restaurant virtually every month to the same restaurant and the, the head chef knows exactly what I want. He's remembered what I'm doing. And then every six or seven months, he just doesn't charge us. And you just think, how cool is that? He knows we're coming back. We've been going there for years. But if you were to model off that concept of knowing your customer, giving something that's unexpected, and probably more importantly, just being nice. So, you know, if you look at McDonald's when they ask you literally a second before you order your food, would you like to large it? And they ask you that question because... At that moment in time, you're at your highest state of, you know, that dopamine hit. You're waiting for your food. You can smell the food. You can see the food. And 30% of people go, okay, yes. Well, so, it's so such you're, an insignificant amount in the scheme of it as well. But you're, but you're asking a question at the right time. Yes. If you ask the question after they'd served you the food, you go, I'm full, thank you. It's why most restaurants are now having issues with dessert and why lots of restaurants, meals take so long. Because you have to Instagram your food. You know, you know you've all on your phones. So you have lots of people that they now share a dessert. So in the old days, you'd have a you'd have a starter, you'd have a make or and dessert. Now the the whole dessert pattern has changed. So if you want to model off the very best, look at people you admire. What do they do? And you don't have to like everything they do, but you have to look at some things they do. So it doesn't matter which leader you look at. I could find something good about them, including some really nasty people. There's something they do that you could take a you could take a leaf out of their books. Sure. And you don't even have to know these people personally. I mean, you can
0: be like a, a virtual modelling. From, well, very, from A lot of times
1: them. when I'm on stage, someone will shout out Richard Branson. 99.9% of the world have never met him. But they think about things he does and think, I'd like to be like him. So they've got no idea what he's like they don't even know if that's what he does. But he appears to be. Yeah, he Mark, markets himself well as well as exactly his Virgin right. Virgin
0: brand. Oh, did I just say Virgin? Sorry, <laughs> a bit of free free marketing there. So, modelling from the best is obviously very important. Passion and purpose—we've we, already touched on, which is a—I mean, you could talk about that and the meaning of life and finding a purpose for a, a day at least. Action to me, action is one of the biggest things to move you from A to B. Once you understand what you, where you want to go to, what's the expression? If you're going in the wrong direction, it doesn't. if your ladder's up against the wrong wall, it doesn't matter how, how much action you take. But action... So, the,
1: so my big thing about action is, uh, is to say to people, ready, fire, aim. Most people spend so long aiming, spend so long cogitating, spend so long looking into detail, they actually don't take any action. So I often say to people, when all is said and done, much more said than done. Mm. So you go on a course and you write loads and loads of notes. Then you put the notes on the shelves, and that's called shelf development. You know, we did this whole process. The question is, what could you do today to start the process? One year from now, you wish you started today. You know, and I I could throw out loads of these lines. But if you want to save for a house, put a pound away today. The problem is, I'm going to wait till it feels right. If you want success, what are you doing right now? So, you know, if I want to get my name out more to the world, let's be on a podcast. That's another 10, 20, 10,000, whatever the numbers are, I'm going to hear it. Or I should wait for the perfect moment. There are people who are what I call perfectionists who are only happy with an imperfection. I'm somebody who, if I get it 97% right, I'm fine with it. Good enough is good enough. Well, done beats perfect. Yeah, My friend Neil Martin says that line. He says, done beats perfect. At some point, you've got to do something. You can correct afterwards. My favorite line, and I love this line probably the most in the world, is you can't aim a duck to death. At some point, you've got to fire. <laughs> yeah, But too many people are waiting for it to be perfect. They're looking for a perfect relationship. They're looking for the big, you know, the savings. And when everything is right, then they'll do something. I also
0: think one of the key things of procrastination there is what's commonly called the imposter syndrome. I, I'm not good at it. I don't know how to do this. I'm not good enough. People are going to think I'm stupid doing this. And they put themselves down. I mean, I, I confess, I knew nothing about podcasting until, you know, two years ago. And I was scared shitless, quite frankly. Uh, but there'll uh, be someone
1: listening to this podcast who says, "You know what? You should have done." Of course, and and they're right. Yeah, but but you're doing it. Yes, and there are many people that read my books and go, "Yeah, if you'd have only done this." And I go, "How many books have you got published?" And and there are people who, that they're, they're right in what they're saying because they. But but there are some people who have a vested interest in your life not working, and they're determined because they haven't accomplished their dreams mm. to be what I call dream stealers. Yeah, they're called psychic vampires they literally suck the energy out of you. And you need to be really careful that when you take action, that they don't hold you back by saying, I think you're going the wrong way. That it, it's not the wrong way, it's just not getting the result you want. Yeah. So I often say to people, you never fail in life, you just haven't got the result you wanted. Yeah, that's very true. But I think ac- action
0: is the, the big, or inaction is the biggest killer of a lot of people's dreams because they have these ideas, they want to do stuff and they just don't do anything. But as you said, if you do like 1% action every day, baby steps every day, do something You'll eventually. I I found it so many times. Just just doing this podcast, meeting one person leads to another person leads to another person. So many opportunities come your way. Not I'm not talking financial opportunities necessarily, but things that are just so fulfilling.
1: But you know, the word opportunity is now here. Can also read opportunity is nowhere. Yes, and and that's the whole point. That you know the action you take, and you know every single day I ask myself, "Am I one percent closer to where I want to be?" I don't know. But I'm, I'm I'm on that journey. Yes. Am I one percent of losing my weight? Yes. Yeah. Am I one percent in fulfilling my dreams? Yes. Am I am I spending one percent more time with my kids? Yeah. Yeah. All those things you can't do a hundred percent. No. And the journey is the crucial thing. Was the journey is the here and now. Yeah.
0: It's not. It's not where you end up because nobody knows where you're going to end up. You're not. You know. You've been through some pretty traumatic uh, health issues over the last few years. You don't know if you're going to wake up the next day. So today is the the only important thing, and that is part of the journey. You've got to enjoy. Enjoy your time. Enjoy what you do. It's absolutely crucial. Don't don't wait, and that sort of feeds nicely into the next thing. Because we talk see from impact is what you t- talk about comic comic relief. Well,
1: you need to have a bit of fun with what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. You know, and too often, you know, we need to take ourselves seriously, but a We need to take ourselves lightly in a job seriously. So, how much fun have you had in the last week? When was the last time you had a belly laugh? No one's ever gone to the doctor and said, you know, I'm just laughing too much. It's just a bizarre concept. So. There is fun in most situations or you can take it seriously. So, you know, there are times where I know I'm getting pissed with something and if I could turn it slightly, it can be quite comical. And so we, we look we look for comic relief. We look to take things a bit lighter, so we're not so stressed. When you know, if you look at the word stressed, if you spell it backwards it says dessert. So for someone like me, I just have to make a decision. Am I stressed or do I or do I, or do I want to dessert? And people
0: when you're in conversation or when you're presenting as you do all the time people remember the comic moments the fun moments as well that'll be the bits they'll they'll take away
1: well it's not even just how they remember it but you just got to make people enjoy the process so i often talk about enjoy and enjoy so i'm enjoy when i present and i enjoy when people get something out of the presentation but if you're not with what you're doing you can't enjoy it and finally t for t is for trust is that trust in yourself, trusting in the process? What do you mean by that? So there are three aspects of trust. So I have to trust you that this podcast is going to work and it's going to go out whatever. Fingers crossed. No, but I, but I just trust the process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a process that we're doing. I, I, you know, I see red light too. I've got no idea what it means. But you just have to trust that it's going to work. It may not, but you've got to trust the process. Uh-huh. Otherwise, we'll be doing sound checks for the next three hours. But the key bit is trusting yourself. Because very often, we have what's called a gut instinct. And you may or may not know this, but your gut instinct comes from what's called the vagus nerve, which goes literally from your brain to your gut. It's a nerve that goes all the way through your body. And often when you have that feeling in your stomach that doesn't feel right, your brain's giving you a message to trust your gut. Your gut really is your second brain. If you were to write down every situation where you had to make a decision based on instinct, 95% 95% of the time, you'd be right. But because we don't trust our instinct and we don't have a what I call a gut diary, we don't know if we're trustworthy or not. So I know what I'm really good at and I know what I'm not good at. And if I trust myself that, you know, we could fit this interview in, I can get to Watford train station, I can get to Birmingham, then I've got to get to Solihull, then I'm going to Newcastle tonight. I trust it will work. I don't know the train schedules exactly and yeah. I don't know exactly where it's going to work, but I trust myself and I trust the process. But too often... We want firm evidence that everything's going to work. Yes. I
0: I once heard it was put to me, or I read it somewhere, that when you get in your car, you trust that people are going to drive on their correct side of the road and they're not going to come into you. And we do that every day. We have to have trust in systems and in processes and in each other.
1: But I will tell you now, 98% of the world are trustworthy.
0: Are trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you have a choice of not trusting because of the 2% or trusting because of the 98%. See, it doesn't matter what you do, there'll be 2% who will let you down.
0: So why, do we, why are we more distrustful if there's only 2% who are going to let
1: us down? Because that's our past that tells us it didn't work. Uh-huh. And our past is much stronger on bad memories than good memories. So we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to get rejected. The best way not to get rejected and hurt is not to play the game. And that's why presumably all the
0: news is bad news rather than good news because it's what we well, listen to. Well, and- well, also, if
1: you just read good news, it's not much fun. Yeah. So we quite like a tragedy. If you know, if you watch something like Coronation Street in East and everyone was having a good time, how boring would that be? Sure. So, so it's just not real life. The problem with trust is I trust everyone until they let me down. Now, that's going to be a really hard concept for some people who listen to this podcast. Yeah. They'll say, Well, how can you trust them? Why wouldn't I trust them? Now, what I trust everyone to do. Now, what's interesting, so I had brain surgery literally four weeks ago, and the surgeon who was going to do it didn't. I had someone else who I'd never met. Now, I promise you, literally before my anesthetic, I did not ask to see his qualifications. that is trusting but that's the whole point yeah at some point you got to trust the process yeah so if i trust at that level i can trust when someone comes into my house now if i saw four armed gunmen with guns and all the rest i probably wouldn't trust it but i'll look at that situation then so we wrote the book the impact code on the basis that if you followed the six steps to not to the letter but you looked at every single day and said was i in the room did i look at other people think what can i plagiarize from them did I find my passion? Was I passionate about what I did? Did I take some action? Did I have comic relief? Did I trust myself? If you followed the steps, your life would work reasonably well. doesn't mean it's going to work in every situation. Sure. But it works reasonably well. Yeah. And what we're looking for is people to, to have an enhanced life, a life they deserve.
0: No, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I've, I've read, like, probably many people, dozens and dozens of uh, self-help, if you want to call it that sort of genre, self-help books. And this... It's good to get it from an Englishman as well because there's so, many Ameri- so much American trash out there. But this is a really good practical practical book, which I thoroughly recommend Thank you. people read. And the other book, um, which we probably don't have time to go into in a whole lot of detail, it's a zoo around here, which fits nicely with this, is how to communicate with other people. So how does that sort of fit in our day-to-day lives?
1: If you think that everyone you meet has their own style, their own personality, and a lot of people you meet have a very different process than the way they communicate, So, you know, forget left side of the brain, right side of the brain, and we still don't have total evidence of that. But we know that some people have a logical brain, some people have a much more imaginative brain, some people have quite a fiery personality, and some people are quite gentle. If you can find their style, and you can... Do you play squash at all? Have you ever played squash? I used to play squash quite a lot, yeah. When you played squash, what was the position you had to get to as quickly as you could? The T. In the centre. Yes, in the centre. So the person who holds the centre position can control the game. Sure. If you think of communication as a square, and the person who holds the centre position can then look at where the different people sit. So when I talk about animals, the zookeeper's role is to feed the animals the food they need. Mm. So if you feed lions raw meat, and if you feed dolphins fish, and if you feed elephants greenery and vegetables, and if you feed uh, monkeys bananas, you get a good response to them. If you feed them the wrong food, they might eat it, but they're not going to be over-happy right the question is the same thing communication so when i work with someone like you and i'm quite gentle and i'm quite uh soft and i'm not giving too many hard examples i'm not going too deep on fact you can smile and you think well that's nice he's being very nice if i was working with someone who was very factual i would have to be exact on my science of when i started my company the exact capital when the venture capital people came in and they'd, they'd hold on to those dates very dearly
0: but working out what category that person is is an art that you've learned over some time Well, no i
1: could if i asked you where you're going on holiday yeah the response you give me would nearly tell me what animal you are okay if i asked you you know where do you work it would nearly tell me because the way people respond nearly tells me their animal style and yes the longer you play the game of listening the better you are at communication comes back to being in the room doesn't it to a degree. great listeners yeah. are great communicators yeah the problem is we don't listen because what happens is some of us are listening and some of us are waiting to respond. And very often we're not listening to the key message. So the more I listen, the better I am at communicating. Yeah. It doesn't mean I get it right all the time, but I get it right about 85% of the time that I can very quickly work out where they are and they are surprised that I have business cards with the different animals on. And after literally a minute or two, I can give them a business card and they'll go, how did you know? So some of it is an art, some of it is a listening skill, some of it is I've been doing it for nearly 20 years. But communication is not complicated communication is finding out what the other person wants and speaking in their language so there's four categories do you just want to whiz through them so we have lots of monkeys who are very dynamic they're very creative they've got lots of energy but they are terrible at being in the room and they're not great completers so they look like they're passionate about something but the the next shiny toy is where they're going to put their attention to and is that you that's 100% me so I'm already now thinking about, because it's been longer than 40-odd minutes, I'm now thinking about my train journey. You're starting to panic. No, that's okay. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not panicking, because I know it will happen, yeah. but, I, but my mind starts drifting. Uh-huh. Then we have the lions, who are really solely focused on an end result, and they're short, sharp to the point, single-minded, and they look quite uh, bullish in their nature, because they don't look like they care. They care, but on their terms. And you just have to make sure that you give them the facts very quickly. They haven't got time to find out how your children are. They don't care. And then we have the elephants who are deep-rooted with knowledge. You know, if you think that elephants can follow a path for 50 years and find water, and it's done through generations and generations, and they need detailed data, they need the process, they want to check the equipment that we're using right now, make sure this is the right type of mic, and it's picking up the sound. They'd have done 14 sound checks. And, and what happens for some people is it just takes too long. Yeah. But their stuff is phenomenal because they've done some safety checks and trust me you need some elephants in your life yeah and then we have the dolphins who are a caring nurturing supportive patient who want to make sure the rest of the world gets looked after first which is you my friend you know so you want to make sure this podcast is going out to lots of people and it hits lots of different i want them to interest. enjoy it and to be happy of course and to you have do. a
0: good emotional response to it yeah
1: and and, and and the nature you have is that sometimes when you interview lions uh, they haven't got very long. Just ask me the send me the questions in advance so they can get, so they can do it. Sure, there is not a chance I was ever going to do that because yeah. I can't. First of all, I wouldn't have read them and I wouldn't have listened, and and I'd have played it with it anyway. Yes, elephants would have wanted the questions seven weeks in advance. They'd have wanted to see all the podcasts you've done before to make sure they knew the type of questions you are going to ask because uh-huh. they hate to be put on the spot. Yeah,
0: no, fascinating. I think also the thing is, I mean, I, I am a dolphin, but I am not exclusively a dolphin, and I think you can fit into several of the categories with just one. You can have a
1: secondary trait depending on where you are but you're very rarely will you ever be aligned because it's just too far from where no, you I wouldn't are be aligned. No, the that's same that's as i'm never sure going to be an elephant okay yeah. it's just too far to go so i employ an elephant and i work with an elephant who does all the other stuff that i'm not interested in
0: so you're working on a new book at the moment
1: which i think you said is a follow-up to well it's it's the new rules for leadership uh-huh. as the zookeeper
0: okay so just tell us a little bit about how that how that's coming on so
1: we are ninety percent of the way through. What happens though in in the workplace with communication is that animals need to be situated in the right place. They need to be sat in the right place. They need to be having meetings the right way. But you need to remember that if you don't look after them well, they will trans they'll they'll transfer to a secondary trait. So as a monkey, if I don't get my needs met, I go into what I call hyena mode and then I cause havoc. Wow. And I can literally destroy the process and I don't care if we lose the deal or not. And hyenas who are in the wild and in the Serengeti, the problem with them is they will terrorize other animals. And hyenas, when they're not being looked after, they don't get their needs met, and they don't get a birthday card signed by most people with some funny comments, can literally terrorize an organization. Uh Elephants have a bigger issue because they go what I call rhino. And they can go very solitary. They can then go on their own. They can bury themselves deep into paperwork and then charge you with information. The dolphins bless them, who are very sweet-natured and very trustworthy. If you let them down the third time, they will turn on you and turn into sharks. And they just start circling and picking off the weakest person. Okay. And you know that's what you can do. <laughs> Better watch out for that. <laughs> lions are quite, you know, as a pack animal, lions turn into tigers, and they literally eat their own. They just don't care. And they then become stealth warriors, and they come up very close and take their prey with them. So you, have, you need to look after your animals carefully and in the workplace with all that's going on and with trust in the workplace and with people working from home and with an, an expectation economy especially for younger people they expect things now and if you don't give them what they want now they will turn so these people who've always been great will turn on you so we're t- telling you how to deal with them and when is this book gonna we be hope published? to be out for the first of july but i'm right. a monkey so that means an absolute nothing <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, we look forward to uh, to reading that as a an addition to the other fantastic books that you've you've written, which I thoroughly recommend to people. I, I know you're pushed for time, so we're gonna we're gonna start to wrap up now. We're at the time of the interview, uh, and in fact, Nigel's just, just reminded me I hadn't forgotten, but he reminded me because he's a he's a monkey and he wanted it he wanted it sorted, didn't he? That the time of the interview where I ask my guests to name one or two secret, fascinating, interesting places in and around London that they love, that perhaps other people. Aren't aware of, but Nigel reckons he's got a place that none of us are going to know about.
1: Well, no, you'll know about it, but you probably won't understand how phenomenal ah, it is. Go on then, and it's Horse Guards Parade. Okay. Now, every Sunday for literally seven years when I was growing up, I went to changing changing of the guards. Oh, crikey. But there are two parts of changing of the guards because you nearly said about Buckingham Palace. Yeah. That a little band comes out from virtually from either side of Clarence House, uh, and the little band isn't allowed to play. Until it's gone 162 steps away from Town House, because there's a little church there, and they're not allowed to play till they get to the light. So we would, I would march with my father. I then did it with my son with the small band that would get to the Mall and then turn right to go to Buckingham Palace, and then we'd run through the park to where the the barracks are, where the large band would come out uh-huh. before it going to, to Buckingham Palace. But if you went an hour before at horse guards parade they would be changing the guards at either 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock depending in the tourist season right so uh, military bands are one of my favorite passions who knew that's the point <laughs> and so i've done the edding to, to the royal tournament and in the old days the royal tournament was the most magnificent thing but military bands are one of my favorite things and beating of the retreat at horse guards parade which is literally happening the next couple of weeks Is one of the most fascinating things to do. So, Trooping of the Colors for the Queen's birthday, but beating of the retreat is literally normally a week before, where they will parade for like an hour, and it is one of my favourite things in the whole world I hope so. Yes. Yes. Do you have to
0: book up, or you just you just show Uh, up?
1: You can you can be near, but if you want seats, you have to book for beating of the retreat. Trooping the color has two rehearsals. So it's very interesting how unbelievably it is done so well. And you get tickets for the rehearsals. It's nearly impossible to get tickets for Trooping the Colour because it's for digging the Tris.
0: Well, I have to say that's the most obscure one we've had so far. <laughs> so thank you very much. And who knew you had an interest in that's um, the whole mil- I, military point. I
1: thought I would confuse you, you there. You
0: fooled and confused us. Before we finish, how can people get hold of you if they want to? I don't know hire you as a guest speaker if they just want to find out more about your books or social media
1: so i'm on facebook linkedin twitter under nigel risner my mm-hmm. website's very simple nigelrisner.com and there you'll see some videos of us doing some stuff on there and everything that we do is to be simple so you know we i tweet every day i if i find an interesting animal story it goes up onto facebook or linkedin I don't spam and I don't want to waste people's time, but every post, there'll be some point to it. So if there's a funny video I see, there's a point to it for somebody, even my story. So if you're interested in understanding communication or creating impact, delighted to hear from you. Or Just,
0: just human nature, well, I mean, well, that's a, the point. a deeper you... understanding of human nature, which is critical. But so many people are pretty crap at uh, understanding people and communication is obviously critical. So that's how people can find you.
1: We do a podcast similar to... Yes. So tell um, us a little bit about that. What's it called? How to Have Your Best Year Ever. And so it's every Monday. It's 11 minutes long. So it's a car journey, as we call it. Yeah. You know, It's just to give you a motivational boost on a Monday. Fantastic. We've done 29, I think. I, I, I've i got no idea because I'm a monkey. I don't do detail. You don't do the technical stuff. And it's just a bit of fun.
0: Yeah, I've heard some of them. They're, they're really good. Very informative. Good fun. Um, nice so bite
1: size. I, I like interacting with people. You know, We respond really quickly. I probably speak about 100 times a year. I'll do 30 countries this year, and I love what I do, and it's been a pleasure and an honour to do your podcast.
0: Thank you very much, Nigel. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Every week here at Your London Legacy, we bring straight to your device a new and fascinating guest with a wonderful London-based story. We hope you enjoy listening to their timeless stories as much as we enjoy creating them for you. If so, the best way to show your appreciation is to subscribe to the show simply go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and pop your name and email in the box where shown. That way, you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for your support.